Uh, today we are going to continue our conversation, or we're going to continue to look at these ancient stories from uh, Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, as, as we look at the, the stories that the ancient Israelites told uh, to explain how they understood the, that the world came about, and who God is, and who they were, and who they were in relation to God. And, and so, uh, before we um, dig into the story, it's good for us, uh, I think, to just remember where we are in the story. Um, we, we are in chapter 4, and uh, if you're not familiar with Genesis, um, we've already learned that God is the creator uh, of all the universe and that God brings order out of chaos. We learn that God is the one who uh, shaped this world, formed it, and then filled it with everything that there is, that God is the one who orchestrated all of creation, and that God is the one who seeks to sustain and allow all of creation to flourish. He blessed it and affirmed the goodness of creation. Uh, and we are told that God created man and woman in God's image, and then he entrusted humanity to care for the earth on his behalf so that all of creation might live in harmony with God and with one another. And we just celebrate today how wonderfully human beings have done that. Maybe not. Um, very early in Genesis, we see uh, that, that man and woman, that humanity, instead of using all the freedom that God had given us so that all of creation might flourish, we see that humans use their freedom to assert their independence of God to assert their autonomy, and in fact, instead of trusting God, they begin to trust themselves. And in doing so, as the ancient Israelites would say, uh, the reason God's good creation doesn't look like it intended is because us as humans stopped trusting God and decided that we know better. And if that was not enough for Adam and Eve, um, we, we have heard the story uh, of Cain last week. The story how um, Cain um, killed his brother Abel despite all of, of God's grace that was poured out upon him. Uh, Cain still uh, went his own way and showed no remorse or repentance um, even after God came to him after he killed his brother. And we left off last week at the story in, in chapter 4, verse 16, where um, Cain, it says, Cain left God's presence and went to settle in the land of Nod. And so we're going to pick up the story um, today in, um, in, chapter, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 4. Now, um, Today's message is actually going to be a contrast of two genealogies. Now, how many of you ha have heard a sermon based on genealogies before? This may be a first for some of you. Um, uh, but I want us to stop. Oftentimes we get to genealogies in Scripture and, and we're like, yeah, okay, uh, they had a lot of kids and we uh, usually, and, and genealogies are really meant to go between one important person and another, right? They're, they're intended to connect the past with uh, the future and to kind of get us there without telling us a lot about the people in between. And yet there's a lot to learn if we pay attention to genealogies. And so we're going to pick up by 
reading, uh, beginning by reading verses 17 through 24. Um, this is what we learn about Cain. Um, Cain knew his wife intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain built a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. Irad was born to Enoch. Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech. Y'all try that. <laughs> Lamech took two wives, the first named Adah and the second Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the ancestor of those who live in tents and own livestock. His brother's name was Jabal. He was the ancestor of those who played string and wind instruments. Zillah also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the ancestor of blacksmiths and all artisans of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words. I killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. So Cain will be paid back seven times and Lamech 77 times. Now, as we, we remember, um, Adam and Eve, as far as we know, they had Cain, they had Abel, and, and they, they probably had other children, but we're only told about Cain and Abel, and so it appears that Cain is all that, that exists, that Cain's lineage is all that exists. Um, and we're told uh, that this lineage of Cain, we see some good things that come out of it. We see, um, we see the development of stringed instruments. So we get to hear the violin today, I guess, because long ago, uh, Cain's relatives uh, developed the string instruments. And, and we see this metallurgy, and we see the building of cities. And, and so despite Cain's um, uh, violence and evilness, we, we see some human development. Uh, but then we get to the seventh generation of Adam through Cain, and, and we get this story of Lamech. The story slows down after giving us uh, this, this list of five or six folks. And we come to Lamech and we're told that Lamech comes home one day singing this song to his wives. Bragging about the fact that he has killed somebody who wounded him. That he has killed, that he has killed a young man. And so this story that maybe we had hoped in, in this grace that God had shown to Cain, uh, this, this grace where he had put a mark on his head and said, you will not be killed, you will be protected. We had hoped that maybe Cain would turn back to God. And yet what we see is seven generations out, instead of turning back to God because of God's grace, we see a descendant of Cain bragging about the violence that he has perpetrated against another person. We see, um, we, we've moved from this unrepentant, unremorseful Cain to uh, this glorifying of violence by Lamech as he celebrates the fact that he has killed someone who has wounded him. 
How far have we come from Cain uh, that this mark that was put on him is no longer seen as something uh, that is a stigma, but is now seen as a mark to be celebrated. As if uh, Cain's descendants, because God did not kill Cain for killing his brother Abel, that now Cain's descendants can can, uh, um, wreak havoc and violence upon the whole earth, and instead of fearing retribution, declare, well, if God was going to punish someone seven times for killing Cain, surely He'll punish them 77 times for killing me. I don't think that that is what God had envisioned when He shared His grace with Cain. And so here we are, In chapter 4, with this picture of a world that is in violence. Participating in violence against each other. And really, if we didn't know the rest of the story, we would begin to wonder, is this what civilization, is this what earth, uh, life on this earth is going to look like? I, I think we would begin to wonder, and yet the story continues. And in verse 25, we're told, Adam knew his wife intimately again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth. Because God has given me another child in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Seth also fathered a son and named him Enoch. At that time, people began to worship in the Lord's name. We begin to get this glimpse of hope, this this glimpse of hope that maybe Cain and his descendants will not have the final word. There is another son that has been born to Adam and Eve. And through this son, people once again uh, begin to turn to God. They begin to align themselves with God's purposes once again. And so all is not lost. And so the story goes on as we now having heard the the genealogy of Cain, we get to hear the genealogy of Seth, of of Adam through Seth. And the story begins in verse 5 by by saying, by reminding us that this is a record of Adam's descendant. On the day God created humanity, he made them to resemble God and created them male and female. He created them in his image. He blessed them and called them humanity on the day they were created. We are reminded once again that despite all that has happened in the world, that humanity is created in the image of God. God does not want us to forget that. And and then the genealogy goes on. This is the place where where most of us would just uh, start with a few verses and and then skip. But it says, when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son in his image, resembling him, and he named him Seth. After Seth's birth, Adam lived 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Adam lived 930 years, and he died. And we get this pattern that we're going to see now for about five generations. Um, When Seth was 105 years old, he became the father of Enos. After the birth of Enos, Seth lived 807 years. 
And he had other sons and daughters. In all, Seth lived 912 years, and he died. I'm not going to keep reading all the names that are here, because I've done that once. Um, but, but we get this pattern here. If we pay attention, there is this, this pattern uh, that, that we're told that uh, each, each successive son gives birth. Um, they, have a, they father a, a son at a certain age, and then afterwards they live so many more years, and we're told in all they live a total of, uh, of Z years, and then they die. Now, here's the thing about genealogies, if you take the time to read them. Um, usually they start off with this pattern, and then somewhere in the genealogy, the pattern gets broke. It's important to pay attention when the pattern changes. And so in this genealogy, when we get to um, Enoch, in verse 21, here's what it says. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. Okay, now we expect it to tell us how many more years he lived. But this is what it says. Enoch walked with God after Methuselah's birth. Enoch lived 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. In all, he lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and disappeared because God took him. This pattern, uh, uh, the pattern has changed. And, and I find it interesting that this is the seventh generation from Adam through Seth. I think the author it, it purposely wants us to look at these two genealogies and wants us to compare the seventh generation of Cain through Cain and the seventh generation through Seth. There is a stark contrast uh, Lamech has become this person who celebrates uh, violence. And, and the seventh generation through Seth is a person who we are told walked with God. You see, it seems that, that if we're going to break this cycle that humanity has fallen into, the only way to break that cycle is for hu humanity, for human beings to walk with God, to be in a close relationship with God, to live life in and with God. We're not told about any other accomplishments of Enoch other than he walks with God. And then I think the author purposely does not say that Enoch died, but it's as if Enoch just goes to be with God. Enoch is taken by God. It stands in stark contrast to, to, to uh, Lamech and his violence. And it is a reminder that if humanity is to indeed uh, return to the purposes of God, that first we have to turn to God and follow God. We'll hear no more about Cain's um, descendants at all, but the story goes on uh, after Enoch to tell us, uh, returning to the pattern of Enoch gives birth to a son, and then he has other sons and daughters, and then uh, that son is Lamech, another Lamech, but not Cain's Lamech. And this Lamech gives birth to Noah. Now, when we, we know the story of Noah, just as the people in Israel knew the story of Noah. And so again, we get this glimpse of hope. 
Noah was the one who delivered the people through the flood. God once again is saying, despite all of, all of the violence and the, uh, what is going on in the world, despite of all the ungodliness, all hope is not lost. And we're told uh, about Noah, the same thing is said about Noah, that Noah walked with God. That Noah, uh, Lamech hoped that Noah would be the one who would give the people relief and comfort from all of the brokenness that existed in the world. Noah offered this hope of new beginnings. And so we see in this story, if we, if we pay attention in these two genealogies, we see this, um, this contrast between Cain and his descendants, who, who weren't all evil. They, they, they showed that they had God's creative abilities that were in them, and, and yet when all was said and done, they were defined by their violence. They were defined by the fact that they uh, tended to walk away from God, to embrace violence, to celebrate it, to be arrogant about all that they had done, to be um, uh, self-centered. And in the line of Seth, we see Enoch and Noah as people who were determined, who, who were defined by how they lived life with God. Nothing else needed to be said about them other than the fact that they did life with God and in God's presence. They sought to align themselves with God's purposes and intent. And so as we hear this story today, as we think about what are, what are these, these genealogies, what is this contrast, I mean, what does it have to do with us today? Well, it, it seems like to me that, that it is a challenge for us to stop and to reflect upon our, our own lives, to ask ourselves, are we going to look more like the line of Cain? Or are we going to be a people uh, that um, glorify violence? Are we going to be a, a people who are so arrogant that, that we don't really care what God thinks or uh, God's purposes? Uh, are we going to be a people who are so arrogant that we think that God will bless all that we do, even when the things we do stand in stark contrast to Jesus and his life. Will we be a people that look like Cain, or, or will we be a people that look like Seth, like Enoch and Noah? A people who glorify and celebrate the fact that they seek to walk like God, or walk like uh, uh, to walk like God and like Jesus. Will we perpetuate violence and arrogance and our own self-centeredness? Will we will we view our um, acknowledging God as a power play? Or will we be like the, the descendants of Seth? People who interrupt the pattern of violence and ungodliness, seeking to give others a glimpse of hope, a glimpse of God. Will we be a people 
who simply perpetuate uh, the destruction and the death and oppression? Or will we be a people like Enoch and like Noah who offer folks in the midst of brokenness and darkness a glimpse of the light of Christ? A glimpse and a hope of healing and wholeness. A glimpse of deliverance and what it might look like if people begin to turn to God, to walk with God, to align our lives with God, to live each and every moment in the presence of God. And so the challenge for us today is will we embrace the line of Cain or will we embrace the line of Seth that offers a glimpse of hope to a broken and falling, fallen world? Let us this day be a people who recommit ourselves to walk with God, to do life with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that others might experience hope and healing and wholeness. I invite the choir to come forward as they're going to lead us in um, They Shall Soar Like Eagles. And as they sing, I just invite us to reflect upon our own lives as we consider how we are walking with God this day.